Okay, thank you for listening to this episode of Bloodhound Picks. We're doing something a little different, I think, starting with this episode, where we are switching from weekly to monthly. And I mean, you should all be excited because we are producing the same type of content. Nothing's really changing, but instead we're just giving you a big old lump sum once a month instead of four times a month or five, depending, but our horror, not fear campaign is still going to have its own episodes. So with that being said, I am one of your hosts, Craig. I'm Kyle. And this episode, we have our special guest, Dan Johnson, who we've interviewed in the past and I've known him for many years. And yeah, Dan. Uh, hello, 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 everybody. Um, you, you can't see this over radio, but we were trying to figure out how I guess I would introduce myself and who would do it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dan. Um, I do theater. I love art. I've known Craig for a long, long time. Hi. <laughs> we're excited to have him. And we actually, uh, part of this episode is we did... Um, a review on Dead and Sudbury's Buried? Sudbury? Right. The film <laughs> festival. And they and we had Dan come in and he gave a really excellent well review for two of the movies and one is an amazing review that you should definitely check out. But yeah, we're going to talk about those as kind of part of our screener spotlight and go from there. So Again, we talked about Dead and Sudbury's Film Festival, where the movies that we received were, I guess we can each go through the ones that we specifically watched. We did something different where instead of all of us watching the same ones, I took on three, Kyle took on three, and Dan had two. We also um, received a Ghost Waits, which we already took or handled about a year ago so we're not covering that one but a ghost waits is probably the best of the bunch i, I would say <laughs> it is a little romantic comedy that i know it just got picked up by arrow and should be coming out oh, wow. at the beginning of the new year and yeah it's a romantic comedy about a guy that is has to kind of fix up a rental unit for to be rented out again and there's a ghost that is possessing it and he doesn't want to leave because he needs the job. And she doesn't want to leave because that's her job, too. And that's kind of considered what Ghost meets um, Beetlejuice. I think they that's the marketing behind it. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's black and white. But we're getting into the other stuff now. So the three movies that I had were Nefarious, Butchers, and... Jeez, I can't. Oh, um, a game of death. That's the one. A game of death. Yeah. <laughs> but Kyle, if you want to go. Um, and I had witch stars, <laughs> Redwood Massacre, Annihilation, and the um, sequel. Yeah, <laughs> who could forget? Uh, and <laughs> Slaughterhouse or the Slaughterhouse. Uh, and I had Chestersburg and <laughs> Death Ranch. Okay, uh, so how do, do we want to just have one person? Do we want to go, like, I'll do one, Kyle, Dan, or do, 
we just want to handle our whole experience with the festival and then move on to the next person. Um, I'm, I'm like the alternating. I think that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll go first. I'll talk about Game of Death because I think it was probably the one that I handled the best. In term, so Game of Death is the story of just a quick synopsis that it's a bunch of millennials hanging out and they are drinking, they're smoking, they're just doing whatever. You can kind of see the relation, the dynamics and the relationships between them. And they decide to play a game and they find this old board game called Game of Death. And it basically says you have to kill a person, one person each hour for 24 hours or somebody will die and they think it's kind of dumb they go about their day and after the first hour one of the group their heads explode and they realize well maybe it's a sniper i guess they think at first and then it goes on to oh this is real and then they go off on a journey of killing one another to or well killing other people and one another and so on to last this whole day's worth of time. So, um, I think so I <laughs> God is gonna have to do some good editing with this episode. Oh, it's um, all staying in. <laughs> yeah. So I have a love hate relationship with game type horror films. You look at, um, well, the more recent one was escape room, which was, fun despite all of its flaws there's ready or not which i really enjoyed again it's fun there's the saw movies which um, i think we've talked about on this series i know kyle and i have talked about where i have again a love-hate relationship with them where i'm very fascinated with the saw series and then i'll watch it and find myself unfascinated but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um but this was kind of the same thing where i think it was done. All of these were kind of indie films, I think, across the board, which I respect. I always appreciate the the commitment because, again, it takes a lot of work to make a film, even a independent film. So for that, I'll give credit and I'll say all those things. Um, and I think there are some amazing ideas in it. And playing off that millennial era, it does this element where it switches back and forth, and there there's this attempt to make it almost like a like somebody what i think i phrased it in our review which you can also read if you'd like where somebody watched a knockoff of a um terrence malick film where it's like the visual they're trying to do these visual poetry film or this yeah these visual poetry elements and all of that where and I love that. I love, um, I've talked about before, I love mumblecore. I love the horror equivalent mumble gore. I'm all for it. But this just felt like one of those movies that should have been embracing, I think, the the outlandishness of this whole concept. They take it very seriously and it just tonally doesn't work. And having that kind of artistic visual poetry element, again, as much as I love it, I don't think it meshes well with this concept of that they have to kill a person each hour or their heads explode because it is a silly concept. And I think we've come across this a lot lately, especially in this year where 
there's you know horror goes in kind of phases and the phase lately has been very serious horror and brooding and whatever and some of these movies and some of these concepts would almost work better if they embrace that humor a little bit and i think that's where it kind of falters in my opinion um somebody else could watch it and absolutely love it and that's fine um but yeah i felt like they should have embraced the silliness of it because it is silly and but there are some genuine moments and there's some great kind of effects and kills and gore. I think that's great. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my experience with game of death and it has nothing to do with the Bruce Lee movie. Um, in case anybody is curious, but yeah, um, based on that too, it kind of brings that issue because you know, there's so much content coming out that obviously films are going to have the same names and things like that. But I feel like Game of Death is one of those titles that is just so ingrained because it was Bruce Lee's last-ish movie they couldn't complete. And it's infamous and people have parodied, parodied it and homaged it and done so much with it that using the title, I don't know, it kind of sets it up for failure and it's like naming something taxi driver or you know choosing some very well-known film like that if joker yeah. could have gotten away with it it would have yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so kyle pick your first oh, okay um i guess we'll talk about redwood massacre annihilation <laughs> <I'm>... yes. <laughs> which i haven't seen redwood massacre so... i heard the first one was actually <laughs> For a like low budget Good. horror film, it was decent. Yeah, as as we were told by Jim McCloud of Ginger Nuts of Horror, he said, said it was he decent. told me the first one was yeah decent enough. Okay, well, <laughs> this one <laughs> is I guess kind of picking up right where that one left off. It's starting at the end of a massacre of these college kids <laughs> somewhere, um, and then we kind of jump. I don't know if it's five years. We jump in the future and one of the kid's parents is uh, now like a renowned true crime author who's written about the massacre that happened and is, is wants to find out who killed his daughter. And this guy who is a psycho killer that you see kill some people goes to his book signing and says, you know, I know where the massacre happened and I know who the killer is. Um, just trust me, come with me, basically. Um, and his other daughter, Danielle Harris, uh, tries to talk him out of it, and eventually they agree to go with this guy who they shouldn't go with to this <laughs> sort of military compound weird place. Um, and obviously this guy, you know, has bad intentions. And then they meet up with, like, four friends who I don't know if these people are from the other movies, so this is all, okay. <laughs> you know. But so they have these four friends come that are like, well, we're, our friends are going to come with us because we don't trust you, the shady killer guy. Yeah. And their friends show up with, like, <laughs> machine guns and stuff, and all of a sudden <laughs> all of the characters are basically, like, special ops commandos out of nowhere. Um, so there goes all the dangerous stakes. Um, and... They're sort of people like bioengineering, like killers, I guess. That's what some of it leads to. But it's just very, uh, it feels like Hallmark made a horror movie 
in terms of just the way it's made and the kind of like blandness of everything like i don't know just the performances everything that happens is very bland and there's and there's moments where they try to show the killer as being like really sadistic but it just kind of comes off as like phony i don't know it, it wasn't i really did not enjoy this experience <laughs> okay yeah. so for Dan, I would actually like you to save Death Ranch for the final one. Yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna start okay. easy. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I was gonna start with uh Chestersburg, uh directed by Jamie McKellar. So, uh the central premise of Chestersburg is imagine a town where murder is legal. You can kill whoever you want, whenever you want. Um, that is that set in Yorkshire, England, is basically the premise of Chestersburg. Um, there is a guy named Chester Mapleforth. He becomes fabulously wealthy and decides that he wants to create a town where he can kill people. So that's what he does. He annexes Chestersburg from the rest of England. And creates a community in which murder is, to quote the movie, nice. And of course, outside the borders of Chestersburg, mur murder is, to quote the movie, naughty. Um, there is a cop on the outskirts of Chestersburg who finds all of Chestersburg very naughty and wants to take it down. Simultaneously, there is conflict within Chestersburg because some people have different ideas. Chester wants to expand Chestersburg. Uh, there is rivalry with other murder communities. Yes, in the world of Chestersburg, uh, rural England has not one but three murder towns. <laughs> it's spectacular. Um, easy. I guess I guess the overall um, way I would describe Chestersburg is easy. Um, as I said in the review, it's not a movie that's designed to make you think. This is this is not a movie that has any sort of deep psychological exploration of murder or anything else. Um, this is not a movie that's trying to necessarily get by on how tightly it's plotted. Um, this is not a movie that's necessarily trying to do anything to explore, I guess, the sociocultural ramifications of anything. It is literally just about, here is a concept, <laughs> we have some actors, we've got some spectacular physical effects, and we've got some really goofy jokes. Um, some of them are gross-out jokes, but not even, again, um, huge gross-out jokes. They're, they're gross, but it, I guess my sort of baseline is um, if you can sit through, say, Cannibal Holocaust, um, a John Waters movie, or uh, a D.O.Z.O. Tom, you'll be able to get through Chestersburg just fine. Um <laughs> There is something, I think, to be said for any kind of art that knows the level at which it's trying to approach and engages with it as fully as possible. Uh, the performances are ridiculous and over the top. They know that they're ridiculous and over the top. Um, and 
some of what to me is kind of delightful is to watch actually people be able to alternate nuances while being simultaneously over the top. Uh, the lead character uh, played by actor Andy Love, uh, Chester Mapleford. He's ridiculous throughout, but sometimes he's genuinely menacing and sometimes he's genuinely warm and sometimes he's genuinely intimidating while being ridiculous throughout. Um, I absolutely respect those kinds of performances. Um, this is a, this is a movie to like sort of sit down, turn your mind off, um, enjoy some, especially considering the budget, pretty great practical gore effects. Um, and yeah, have a have a good time. This is this is a good time movie. Um, it's definitely the kind of movie that would be really easy to compare to other movies. Um, and I'll refrain from doing that because I don't want to say, well, it's like this, but not as good. It's like this, but not as good. It's like this, but not as good. Um, because again, I, I wouldn't consider this an amazing movie, uh, but it's, it's, it's certainly a, a, a fun one. Um, if you like me, enjoy watching people with English accents behave ridiculously uh, and also enjoy a good disembowelment, then yeah, Chestersburg is, is definitely the movie for you. <laughs> Great. Now, um, from the reviews, it sounded like Chestersburg at least was uh, is one of the ones that embraced, I think, the humor a little bit more mm -hmm. from how you explained, Dan. And then, um, yeah, I wanted to and I actually checked that one out. Um, so my next one that I will do, I'm kind of going in order, I guess, of my criticism on the reviews. So I will go with Butchers. Or, yeah, Butchers. Um, so Butchers is about a family in rural America that you'll find kids driving on the side of the road or whatever, and then they say kill them they or capture the females which they use to impregnate and continue their line of redneck hillbilly you know inbred people like um you know wrong turn um again i kind of agree with dan of not wanting to explain those movies but again uh it is one of those things about that kind of plays by that book Wrong Turn, Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw, so on, uh, of just being a backwoods horror film. So we open with a couple who are out, and it's in winter, and I thought this would actually kind of bring a nice little, some diversity to it, being in winter, but then it quickly jumps to summer after the boyfriend, I guess, is killed, and the girl is captured. And it's we shoot to nine months later in the summer, and she is... Obviously, she's pregnant, chained up in a cage and stuff like that. And so then we get to four college kids in the summer driving through. And they the car kind of breaks down. And they obviously on rural paved road. And they have to get to a gas station that they saw a couple miles up. And so there's the couple that's there's some issue between them, as we know. And so she doesn't want to go with him, the the final girl, and him and the other girl, or woman, go off to 
this gas station, which is owned by the butcher's family. And they also hook up and stuff like that. So obviously he's not a good boyfriend. And then there's another male <laughs> character. And then what we get for the most part is part of my review. I really talked about there was this kind of interesting approach that then they would drop a lot was instead of, you know, giving us more of just, I think they're trying to, instead of giving us this, the generic, okay, here's your tropes and let's just watch the, the carnage. Basically it was like supposed to delve more into the minds of these, this family, which if they, they continued that way, I thought it might be, you know, it'd give you some, give us something different that I think would be kind of interesting, at least seeing the psychology and all of that of making this intimate character study piece, you know, in, I guess, a backdrop of these kind of backwoods horror films that are known so well. So, but then what we get instead is more of a lot of, of seeing something creepy or seeing something violent and then long dialogue scenes that just don't necessarily work or they feel like, oh, you could just cut that. You could cut that when you're watching it or a lot of walking and talking. It goes for a while of these people on the road kind of talking to one another about basically information dumps about their relationships or what is the issue between this couple or stuff like that. And then, yeah, then there's kind of some dominance dynamic within the family itself and they're fighting amongst each other. But I mean, for me, it just really was one of those things that I watched it. And again, uh, a lot of work goes into making films. I think the acting is fine for the most, for what it is for the low budget and stuff like that. But it's one where the moment I finished watching it, it was almost as if I instantly would have forgotten it because it's place. It's very much, you know, a paint by numbers, whatever of those type of films. And there's not really anything that stands out. It even throws in, you know, the, the mutant looking one of them towards the end to do who they have like a dog almost, which all of those for some reason have those for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know how to really talk too much about it. And I say the same thing. And it, again, I don't, there wasn't anything necessarily offensive. It was just in the same way that Kyle put it about the Redwood massacre it's just kind of there and it's just, you know, they made a movie because not because they wanted to make a movie and had something to say, but watched Hills Have Eyes, a wrong term, ter wrong turn and said, oh, I'd like to make a movie like that. And then just proceeded to make a carbon copy. And yeah, so that is Butcher's. <laughs> Fun. Um, so I think what we'll do is. Kyle, if you want to go. Yeah. And then I really want Dan's death wish to be the final. So okay. I'll go next because okay. I know Dan has a lot of stuff on that. And then, um, then Kyle and then Dan. Okay. Um, so the other one of the three I watched was uh, the slaughterhouse, which is kind of, uh, it was, it was kind of gritty. It was trying to be almost like a Henry portrait of a serial killer type 
type movie. And there's this character box that is kind of an outcast in this little, I don't know if they were in Australia or New Zealand, um, okay. one of the two, but they were kind of in, in a rural place. And this guy works at a, a slaughterhouse and no one likes him. And they just kind of ridicule, ridicule this guy for no reason. Um, and he befriends this other guy who starts working at the slaughterhouse. Who's like recent, recently paroled and these bully douchebag guys they work with start picking on him as well, kind of for no reason. Um, and so it all builds to um, these bullies picking on them and they finally decide, and you can kind of see why to go beat up the kind of head bully guy. Um, but box urges his, his friend to go further and kill this guy. And you realize that box has killed people before and this is what he likes to do. And he is this kind of just deranged person. And he's kind of uh, not blackmailing, but he is, he's influencing his friend to, to go with him um, as he kills other people. Um, and it creates a weird kind of tense, interesting relationship between them. But it never really... Uh, it doesn't really have the psychological depth to give you anything new about uh, the idea of kind of a documentary realistic look at like a serial killer. Like there is like one scene with Box um, frequenting this prostitute and he, he can't perform and then he wants to watch her pee and it feels like it's going to be a scene, you know, where we see something deeper yep. about what's going on with this guy's psychology but that's kind of it. So it's just kind of this um, anticlimactic attempt to put some sort of psychology in there. Um, so it's interesting. It's not bad. It just kind of, you know, without without any deeper meaning or any insight to add to that genre, it kind of, there's nowhere to go. You're just watching people kill people and it's kind of disgusting and but you're not getting anything more out of it. Like with Henry where it's, okay. it's, it's terrible, but it feels realistic and you're, I don't know. Yeah. yeah so it, it was okay. Okay. Which uh, also a bit of trivia is that, well, I know you love the movie, Kyle, um, Henry portrait of a serial killer. But the first time I watched it was um, with Dan and he oh, showed really? it also to oh. my, my partner, um, my wife, Barbara, at the same time, because she, despite not being a horror fan, she <sighs> loves watching true, true crime and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I similarly love, I mean, it's a <laughs> weird way to put it, um, but Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, it is, I can't say enough things about that movie. Um, and so, that was an experience that we had, wasn't it, Craig? Yeah. <laughs> Bloodhound Picks Podcast is part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Produced by Josh Lee, Craig Drum, and Kyle Hintz. Music by Raymond Seed. Editing by Kyle Hintz.